It is good to have you guys here. This is a great place to start Thanksgiving week, right here in this place. And I think the content of the hour that we have, what we've just done, the, the teaching, the hope, and the promise in it, I think that uh, there's some fresh things today to take into Thanksgiving and to be thankful for. It was about a year and a half ago, it was the early morning hours on a Saturday that there was a medical crisis that, that arose within our family. It, uh, it led to a an emergency clinic, when that wasn't sufficient to handle what appeared to be a very critical need, that led to an emergency room and then to a hospital bed. And very, very slowly, the hours began to unfold with tests and then waiting, long waiting for results of tests and more tests and more waiting and, and then waiting and waiting and waiting for specialists and doctors and so forth. And by well into that evening, well beyond dark, and this was summertime, well beyond dark, the news finally came that, that what would have been so crucial and so dangerous uh, wasn't the cause of the problem. Something much, much less was the cause of the problem. And so after, uh, before sunrise and beyond sunset, um, in that time period, we finally called it a day, and some of us got to go home that night. I woke up, as I always do on Sunday at 4.20. I'm driving to the church. Actually, I'm not driving to the church Forgive me, Lord. I'm driving to McDonald's at 445, (laughs) but God is there as well. And so I'm driving to McDonald's at 445, and I realize I am completely exhausted. I am totally spent. I'm empty. And I began this brief plea to God, and I was saying, "I, I have nothing left. And I know there are two services that will be coming, and I'm not sure I can even stand for that long. I don't know if I could actually mouth the words. And if I can mouth the words, there'll be no heart, there'll be no passion, there'll be no nothing behind them. I'm completely empty and spent. And within about the next minute, I had the radio on, this song began to play, and the song is titled Worn by 10th Avenue North. And these were the words that began to pour from the radio. I'm tired, I'm worn. My heart is heavy from the work it takes to keep on breathing. My soul feels crushed by the weight of this world. And I know that you can give me rest. So I cry out with all that I have left. Let me see redemption when. Let me know the struggle ends. And that you can mend a heart that's frail and torn. And as those strains ended, I pulled into my parking spot, my parking spot at McDonald's. And, uh, and, And just the timing of a song such as that on the heels of my plea, I felt God saying, I know exactly where you are. I know exactly how you feel. I know exactly what you have left, and it's nothing. And as I always do on Sunday, I spent from five till six in that McDonald's, just some time with God. And by the time the hour was done, I was filled with energy and passion and hope and promise for the day. And knowing what I had walked through in the previous 24 hours or more than 24 hours by that point in time, knowing what I'd walked through, knowing how I felt, I knew God had done that. I knew that that Jesus had taken me totally empty and weary and worn and tired and had refueled me. And and that's, that's the business that he is about. Now, there are circumstances such as that, these hopefully rare circumstances where, where we're hit with something where there's no option but just being exhausted and spent and, and toast, and he'll step into those. But more common, and what I want to speak most about today, is not that crisis circumstance when we will become exhausted, but I want to speak to the fact that in our culture, and even here at the harbor, 
there's, there's often there's this epidemic of exhaustion. There's this perpetual tiredness. There's this running on empty. And if you, as I'm describing that, if you're thinking I'm there now, or I get there often, then there's great hope for you. Because the, the bulk of the teaching today that comes from Jesus, the bulk of it, the bulk of what he will do will be to change that rhythm and for you to find not just this perpetual tiredness and weariness, but to find uh, the way to be refueled quickly again and again and again. Um, this is where we're at. This is in the context of the Harbor series. So some of you are new today. I understand that. So we're in this series, and we're talking about how, how what God does when someone is battered and bruised and broken. And we talked about how God restores people and, and repairs people. And we talked two weeks about how he does that. And today I want to shift and begin a new two weeks about what God does for people that are weary and tired and worn and talk about how he refuels us. And then after that, we'll spend a couple weeks about how God, as he restores and refuels, how he returns us to an everyday life with Jesus at the center. So this is the beginning of the, re- the refuel piece. I, I am convinced the most profound words ever written about exhaustion and refueling are found in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Matthew 11, 28 to 30. If you have a Bible, you might want to turn to that. This is what it says there. This is Jesus speaking. It says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. In those three short verses, Jesus gives three commands. If you're taking notes, don't worry about grabbing those right now because I'll talk about each of those one by one. But first he says, come to me. It's the first command, come to me. Then he says, take my yoke upon you. And then finally he says, let me teach you, let me teach you. And then interspersed in that, twice he says in essence, there's this promise in this. If you do these three three things, then there's this promise. And the promise is rest for your soul. You come to me, you take my yoke upon you, you let me teach you, and you'll find rest for your soul. And there's a context of this, and this is just a little side note if you're new to studying the Bible. It's always helpful if you're looking at a passage to see what is said just before that passage and just after to get some context. Sometimes there's clarity that comes from it. So if you look just before this passage, Jesus is talking to to the crowd, and he's saying there are two kinds of people in essence. He's saying one, one segment of the population is a population that's, that's proud. It's a population that thinks they can handle life pretty well. Most of life, they've got control of it. And if there's a problem or there's few times there's a problem, they'll turn to God and say, okay, now, God, I could use a little help. And Jesus is saying those folks probably won't get anything out of my teaching. They won't. But he said there's the other portion of humanity, and they're the ones that are humble, and they, they simply understand they, not only do they need God's guidance, they are desperate for God's guidance. And he said, they'll, they'll get God's guidance, and their lives will change and grow and profit from that. So he set it up, and so that grabbed me this week as I was preparing. I hope it grabs you. The setup of this, the teaching on this, is God saying, are, are you prideful, and you think life is under control? Don't mess with me. Or are you humble? 
and thinking, even if life feels like it's on all, all eight cylinders, you'll hear what God has to say. And, and if it upsets the apple cart, you'll say, I know you know best. And with a humble heart, I will hear it and, and do my best to embrace it into my life. So three commands. The first one is this, is come to me. And it's, it's so important to know who is not only inviting but commanding come to me. It is the one that made you. It, it is the one who is your creator, the one that knows exactly how you're designed, every DNA molecule in place. He knows everything because he made you, he wired you, he formed you, he designed you. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about you. He knows your past. He knows your present. He knows some things that can come in your future. He knows all about you, not just about you. He knows everything about, about this universe everything about it. He knows what today will bring, what tomorrow will bring. He has all knowledge. He's saying, come to me, the one with all knowledge. He has all wisdom. In other words, he doesn't just have knowledge and doesn't know how to apply it. He has the wisdom to apply it with perfection. He has all power. The one saying, come to me, has all power. In Colossians, it says that he literally holds the universe together, and he does so effortlessly. This one that has all power says, come to me. He's the one that never slumbers nor sleeps. He's the one that, this is shocking that this is still true, but the one who's risen from the dead still has the nail scars in his hands to remind you he's the one that loves you most with perfection. This is the one saying, come to me. This is the one saying, come to me. What does it look like when, when we come to him? to find rest for our souls, when we come to him to find refueling. I give you some core things that I've learned, what it looks like. What it means to come daily. So there's this normal rhythm. There's this model of it in Psalm 5, verse 3, that David gives us. He says, listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my request to you and wait expectantly. So it's to come to him daily. It's not to come sporadically. It's not to come in crisis time. It's to have this rhythm, this frequent rhythm. So to come daily. I would say it means to come with this singular focus, to come to him with singular focus. In other words, no multitasking when we would come to him on a daily basis. I don't know if you are aware of this, but the human brain can only think about one thing at a time. You can flip back and forth, but you can actually literally only think of one thing at a time. So if you're doing anything else besides being with him, then you're constantly interrupted from time with him. Even if you're driving a vehicle, if you're driving a vehicle and I'm on the road, I hope you're constantly interrupted from time with him so you're paying attention to your drive-in. But, but I've learned that, that he, he yearns for us to have this singular focus, no multitasking. In Psalm 4610, God says, be still and know that I'm God. Be still. Nothing else going on. No interruption know that I'm God. And then I learned this early on in my following of Jesus, it, to, to come to him in this daily basis, singular focus, means to come to him with both prayer and with, with this book in hand. Prayer is, is conversation with God, but a lot of the conversation back from him comes through his word right here. There's so much of what he intends to say, the bulk of what he intends to say in that time with him comes from this. And so it's to have this time with him, this daily time with him, with dialogue with him, that also means opening up this book and letting him speak through this book. Okay. And what I learned in beginning to follow Jesus was, it, because my life was 
like most all of yours is like now. My life was already full. It was already completely full. And, and to make this happen, this time with him had become non-negotiable. I had to determine this would be part of my day. And something else is going to shift. Maybe something else is going to go away. But this is the non-negotiable. I know some of you are sitting there thinking, wait a minute. I, I came exhausted, and the solution is to give me one more thing to do? <laughs> I know, you're thinking that. I know that. I know. There's a place in Luke 10 where there are these two sisters that are in Jesus' presence, and one of them is busy fixing a meal, which is important because everyone with skin on needs to eat, and Jesus even needed to eat. One's fixing the meal, but Jesus begins to teach, and the other sister is sitting at his feet listening and there's this tiff that arises between the two sisters. Can you guess which one was ticked off? <laughs> As the one fixing the meal was ticked off. And, and the meal is important. And so there's this tiff that begins. And, and Jesus uh, clarifies the picture. He says, there's, there is one thing that matters most. And the one sitting at my feet has found it. And I won't take it away from her. And so I would say to you, yeah, maybe I get it if you came and your life is, you're weary and your life is too full, you have time for nothing else, then I would say, Jesus' words, there's one thing that matters most. I, time with him, coming to him is the beginning of the path to being re- refueled. If you came exhausted and, and you want to find the pathway to be refueled, it begins by coming to him with this consistency. And it means it has to become non-negotiable. It means something else changes. I've taught and given details of what changed in my life, and I've written about it in the past, and, and yours would be different, but, but it can be as simple as, as finding 10 minutes. He can begin to alter and change your life, and, and you're refueling with 10 simple minutes a day with him. So his command is, is come to me. Is that the rhythm of your life now? If, if not, do you desire it to be? If you do, what will you have to do to make that the rhythm of your life where consistently you come to him? His second command is is on the heels of that. He says, take my yoke upon you. We don't, most of us in our daily lives don't deal with yokes. Um, But in ancient times, it was part of their rhythm of life. Uh, A yoke is, at their time, a yoke was this uh, wooden structure, small structure that he placed on the neck and shoulders of a large animal, an oxen, for example. It'd be placed there because an oxen or large animal then could pull a heavy weight and have the weight distributed and pull it well. And so it was very common in in their world. And so it was, the yoke basically was the load or the work or the job to be done. And they understood as well that it had to fit the animal fairly well If it didn't fit the animal, then as the animal began to pull a heavy load over time, it could badly injure the animal. So it had to be a yoke that would fit. And so Jesus is teaching them, and he's saying, take my yoke upon you. In other words, he's saying, I I made you. I know exactly the load I have for you. I know the work I have for you. I know the role I have for you. That's what a yoke is. It's the load that he intends for you to carry in this season. It's the work he intends for you to do that he made you for. It's the role or roles he designed you for for this season. He's saying, take, take those upon you. Don't take other things upon you. Don't take on a load or work or roles that aren't yours. Or don't take on an excessive amount of the load or work or roles that are. Don't take on the excessive 
amounts of that. He said, I know how I made you. I know how I made you. When um, I was first beginning to understand this, I was in my early 30s, and I had some clarity then about what my roles were that he gave me. First and foremost, I was a husband. That was the most important role I had, was to be a husband. Second in line was I was a father. That was a role that I had. At that time, I was also a son and a brother. I was an employee of an oil company. I was a small group leader in the church we were part of. Those were the roles I had. I mean, those were the God-given roles I had. If, and you may have similar roles. There's a dear friend that has been in a profession for a number of years now and has for quite some time has begun to realize and now realizes with great certainty that, that he's in a profession he was never made for. He's good at it, and uh, he's progressed and been successful at it. But as he does it, it exhausts him from the first moment on. There's this perpetual extreme exhaustion, yet he does other things, other hard things, other work things. He gets fueled by them. And now with a lot of time, he realizes he's been doing, he's been, he's had a different yoke on his shoulders. It's been exhausting him. And he realizes God has another yoke, has another, another uh, profession for him to do, literally another profession for him to do. Have you processed lately the, the load that God has for you, the roles he has for you, the work he has for you? Have you processed that lately? Because it can change through seasons. Do you have clarity? Could you sit down and put on a piece of paper and say, these are the roles I know God has given me in this season? And if you can do that with clarity, have you assessed the level of, of load you're bearing with each of those? With each of those. I'll, I'll speak more about this in a few moments, but, but the roles I gave you, the role of a husband, in one sense, if you do it really well, it never ends. There's more you could do. If you are a parent, you know there's more that you could do. If you're an employee, most of you, the jobs I've been in, there's always more I could do. Small group leader, there's always more I could do. Have you, do you know the amount of work God wants you to do within each of those roles? Jesus says the first two things. He says, come to me. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. In other words, he's saying, I, I know how I made you. And I've designed this workable load for you for every season of your life. Be in that workable load. Be in the roles I designed. Be in the intensity that I've designed for you. Or the lack of intensity, so be it, I've designed for you. We had a, um, a man that trusted Christ in the early months of the harbor. The church was uh, fairly small, and there was a lot of work to be done, and he, was, he became this key volunteer. He volunteered for everything. He was doing about six things, I think, and out of his passion for Jesus and his passion for the church, and, and it was very welcome because there was so much to do, and there were so few people that that had yet decided this was their church home, and so he was filling a lot of important roles and everything. But he was shocked on the morning I invited him to my favorite place for breakfast to meet with me, and we sat down, and I paid the full price. I paid his full $1.25 for the full meal that he got that day. <laughs> he was shocked when I said, now tell me again all the volunteering you're doing at the harbor, and he walked through it, and I looked into these weary, worn-out eyes, and I said, I think you're doing more than God wants you to do. And he said, it needs to be done. Who else is going to do it? And we walked through, spent some time together, and by the time the day was done and he prayed for three or four days, 
uh, he wisely dropped a couple things he was doing. And he and I trusted God that if it had to get done, it somehow would get done, and some others would rise up, and they did, and they did. Um, there's this deal that a couple that have mentored Marie and me for a long time from a distance gave us a term that's helped us. The term is holy subtraction. And there can be seasons of life, we've been in some of those, where we've looked at a fresh season and we've, we're doing things that are God-honoring and they're good and they're needed and impact is being made. And it's time to add something else on, on top of that. And what we learned from this mentoring couple is if, the, if our life is full and there's something to add, then there has to be holy subtraction. We have to go to God and say, if, if you want us to add something, then we know you want us to take something away as well. Holy subtraction. Take my yoke upon you. And then finally, Jesus says this. He says, let me teach you. And his primary teaching will come through Scripture, through the Bible, through his word here. Primary teaching will be there. And, and it's no coincidence then that this passage in Matthew 11 about come to me and take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, and I'll give you rest for your souls. Immediately after that, it's in Matthew 12, verse 1, he begins to teach about Sabbath. So he's talking about rest. He's saying, you follow me, let me teach you, and you'll have find rest instantly he talks about sabbath now let me give you some background about sabbath about 1300 years before it was the time of moses this was after the israelites had had over 400 years of brutal slavery in egypt and after god had come in and caused these plagues so pharaoh would release the israelites from slavery give them freedom it was after god parted the sea and the israelites walked through on dry ground it was after they had entered the, the wilderness time at that time, he gives these 10 commandments. So Exodus 20, verses 8 and 10, he's down to the fourth commandment. It's about Sabbath. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And holy means certainly pure, but it also means to have it set apart. Keep the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Keep it pure and set apart. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. It's this day dedicated to rest and dedicated to, to God, relationship with God. And so the Israelites for 1,300 years had been passionate about that, and they wanted to follow it well, and they began to develop guidelines beyond what guidelines God had given, and they got more and more details, even to the point of how many steps you could actually walk on the Sabbath. So if you were going to do any walking, you had to count your steps. Make sure you didn't exceed it by one. If you had a long ways to go, you'd take really big steps because you'd be legal if you did that. So it got absurd. And so Jesus in Matthew 12, he begins to speak about Sabbath. And he doesn't rescind the Sabbath. He clarifies the Sabbath. And he says it's not to be legalistic at all. But he says it's for two things. It's to draw near to God, one, to draw near to God, and it's to rest. That's the intent. One of every seven days, draw near to God and to rest or to refuel. And I was probably three or four years into following Jesus. And I had, for most of that time, I had been following his command of come to me. And so I'd have this time in the morning that was just with him. And I would, I would let him speak to me through his word. And about three or four years in, I'm, I'm reading, and I'm sure I'd read this several times by that point, but I'm reading about Sabbath, and for the first time it dawned on me that that was a command, not a suggestion. And I found that very disturbing because I didn't want to change anything in my life. 
I, I was living at a pace that caused this low-grade exhaustion that never went away. But the things I was doing, I loved. I, I loved and still love being a husband. But that never ends. You can always do more. I loved and still love being a father. And you can always do more. And so I would always try to do the more. I loved the work I was doing in the oil business. There was always more to be done. I loved leading a small group. There was always more to do. And so I was always at, at the razor's edge or beyond. I was always in the red zone, a little ways in the red zone. And I loved it. I, in fact, if I could have asked God for anything, it would have been just give me more energy so I can do more. And now I'm realizing he's saying, I want you to step back. And every seven days, spend that day drawing near to me and resting. You know what I did? Because he said so, I began to try to figure that out and make that happen. And if you actually have faith in Jesus, which means you've decided, I will follow him I will surrender my life to him. That's what it looks like when you hear from him. When he says something that you really don't find very pleasant, but he says it, if you really believe he's the one who loves you and died for you and has your best in mind, all knowledge, if you do it, then you just say, okay, because you say so, I'm going to try to figure this out and make this a reality in my life. And so for me, it meant some of it was just shifting things. My norm on a Sunday was we would go to church in the morning. Was, it was drawing near to God, and it was rich and meaningful, and it was restful. But then the rest of the day was up for grabs. It could involve all kinds of chores, and it just didn't matter. But it wasn't restful. It was red line on the rest of it. And so, so it meant shifting some things. There were some things I could shift to another day. It meant simplifying some things. I could get them done to get them done more, more simply and more easily. It meant eliminating some things. But, but I, I began, and then I began to think out, if I, if I shove these things away, or I even stop doing some of them, what are the things that actually fuel me, refuel me? And I began to understand that, that music refuels me, and so I began to be intentional to put that into some of the rest of the day. I realized that creation fuels me, and so I tried to begin to spend more time in the beautiful outdoors in which we live, with the mountains and snow-capped mountains and all of that stuff, but I'm still fueled by creation, even such as we have here. I began to realize that actually a certain level of exercise fuels me, but also naps fuel me, usually after the exercise fuels me. I began to realize that, that wholesome movies fuel me, and so I began to be intentional to, to remake Sundays, where it was, it was this time in the morning that was rich and drawn near to God and and restful, and the rest of the day was woven with restful things and things that would also draw me near to God. And, and it was some Sundays had still had some work and some drain, but at the end of a Sunday, and now my Sabbath is Monday, at the end of my Sabbath, I still stop and say, God, okay, you're the judge. How did I do? Did I draw near to you? Is that the heart of the day? Did I rest today? Not legalistic. It's not that I can't mow the lawn, or, but tell me, did I, am I living what you intended for Sabbath to look like? And I have learned for these many, many years now, living in that rhythm, it doesn't matter how tired I've gotten in six days. There's this refueling that comes living the way Jesus said to live.
There's this refueling, just simply doing life the way he said to do it. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. And this is important to get this piece of this. And I didn't get this for quite a while. I, I just did it out of obedience. And then I began to experience this. And then I began to read about it in scripture. But Sabbath is both a gift and a promise. Sabbath is both a gift and a promise. In Exodus 16, so this is back the days of Moses. This is after they'd been set free by God's power from Pharaoh. And by the way, before they were set free, the only thing they had ever known in their life was that sometime before they became adults, they began to do slave labor from sunrise to sundown. And they did slave labor every single day of their lives until they died. Their first day of rest was their first day in the grave. That was it. That's all they'd ever known. And so now they are in this wilderness, and God gives them Sabbath every seven days to rest. And then he also says to them, since there are two or three million of you and you're in the wilderness, he says, um, you don't have a food source, and so I'll become your food source. He said, I'll give you this thing called manna. Every morning it will appear on the ground uh, spread out all around this massive horde of people, and you can go out, and you, he said, collect enough to feed you and your household for a day. There's a ton of it out there. He said, just take enough to feed you and your household for a day. I want you then to trust me that I will provide for your tomorrow. Don't take more than you need for today. And initially, some thought, well, he gave it to us today. Can we really trust him? And so they stockpiled more of it. When they got up the next day, it was filled with maggots, and it stunk to high heaven. And so God made sure that they had to depend upon him every single day. They get to the sixth day, and God says, now, now I want you to collect enough for two days. Just trust me. The, the second portion will be good tomorrow because, because tomorrow is Sabbath. Tomorrow's the day to draw near to me and rest. And I don't want you even having to walk to gather it up. Trust me. Take two days' worth. And they took two days' worth, and they got up on the Sabbath, and, and indeed it was fresh and good. And yet some of them thought... Well, that's fine for today, but there have been six days of this. There's bound to be more out there. And so they went looking for more anyway. And there was none. But in Exodus 16, 28, 29, this is what it says. The Lord asked Moses, how long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? They must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. That's why he gives you a two-day supply on the sixth day, so there'll be enough for two days. On the Sabbath day, you must each stay in your place. Do not go out to pick up food on the seventh day. He's saying, the Sabbath is my gift to you, and this is the gift. It's a day of vacation every seven days. That's what God's saying. I, my command is take a day of vacation every seven days. 52 days of vacation a year, God says. This is to a people that never known a single day of vacation. And he's saying it to us today, too. He said, I want you to have a day of vacation every seven days. This is my gift to you. And then there's a promise with it, and the promise is that God will meet your needs. God will meet my needs when we do it as he says. Six days of effort, and he'll give us seven days supply. Okay? Six days of effort on our, on our part, seven days of supply is his promise. There'll be enough. He's saying, trust me. I know there's some of you thinking, I can't pay the bills. I'm working seven days. I can't pay the bills. If I cut back, there's no way. And God's saying, create a Sabbath and trust me, I will meet your needs. Now, if you're living in a 10,000 square foot mansion, <laughs> 
God may say, you don't need the mansion. I'll give you what you need. He's saying, there's this gift of Sabbath, and there's a promise that comes with it. I will meet your needs. Sabbath is a challenge. If, if this isn't part of the rhythm of life, it's a challenge. It's especially a challenge if you are a parent of young children. It's very, very difficult. I would say this to everyone to whom this is a challenge. Sabbath must become non-negotiable. It won't happen. It won't happen unless it becomes non-negotiable. Unless you decide, I will find the way. I will begin with God's help to create Sabbath, and then I'll trust him to sort out the rest of it. It won't happen because most of you, your life is full. You have to decide, because you say so, I I will make this non-negotiable. I'll find out what this looks like. Be creative. It may not be the same day of the week all the time. There may be shift work involved, maybe spouses' schedules involved, maybe school schedules involved. Be creative and, and find what it can look like. See how much rest you can gain in the day that you've, you've chosen a Sabbath day for you. See how far you can gain with that. Be creative in it. But I will say this. If you can't find a way to have a Sabbath, you are doing more than God wants you to do. If you simply cannot find a way to have Sabbath, you're doing more than God wants you to do. Last month, I sat down with a key staff member. The ministry roles the staff member covers have had a deluge of need and demand, which is encouraging. And people responding like never before to, to Christ. And the need is massive, but massive to the point that this, this individual cannot survive this pace. And Sabbath in recent weeks has become history for this person. And so we spent two sessions, spent several hours over two sessions, and we looked at all of the things that could be shifted somewhere else that someone could do and could do healthy. We looked at all those things, and there was still quite a bit left, and every bit of it really mattered. There were, there were human lives at stake, but we looked at each other and said, we know this, we know this, that, that some of the stuff that's left on this sheet, God doesn't want you doing because God has intention for you to have a Sabbath. We know that. And so with his help, we need to find what is not for you to be doing. It's all good. And we found those things. And, and they're, they're on the shelf waiting for someone else to do them. I, I would say this to you. If you can't find a way to do Sabbath, you're doing things God does not want you to do. He designed you for Sabbath. He designed you for Sabbath. There's so much hope in this. It's not complicated at all. It, it takes some prayer. It takes some guidance from God. But, but three commands, not three suggestions, three commands, come to me. Come to me with this daily rhythm. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you. That means assessing with some frequency. If you have the right yoke, the right load, the right work you've taken on, the right roles you've taken, take my yoke upon you. Don't take on other stuff. It's not by his design for you for this season. And then he says, let me teach you. And key teaching around refueling is, is this Sabbath. There's, there's so much potential. If you are on fumes, if you're perpetually on fumes, if you're running on empty, this is your answer. There's a much better life for you. Jesus says, come to me. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you. Let me show you the rhythm of life that will refuel you again and again and again with great frequency. And then there's this promise. He says, I I will give you rest. You do these three things. 
and I will give you rest. There's, there's a worship song we're about to sing together after I pray about how Jesus' love awakens us. And, and his love is at the heart of any obedience about this. Some of you are doing Sabbath, and you can thank God for the gift of it and all that. Some of you are not. But the core of you responding and beginning to lean into this and do the effort to make this a, a new rhythm of life is based upon you knowing how much he loves you. And when you know that, when I know that, it's just a matter of because you say so. And every time I've done that and said because you say so, it's like, it's like his love awakens something fresh and new in life that's good. So let me pray, and then if you will stand and, and hear and sing the words of this song. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us the way. Thank you that this life, as we follow you, is not a life that is perpetual exhaustion, It's not a life that is this endless running on fumes. It's a life that it does have exhausting days. It's a life with this constant refueling as you've designed it. Give us faith to lean into that. Give us the intimacy with you in prayer and in scripture and in community to learn what that looks like for us. Because each of us are individual in exactly what that looks like. Give us that. Give us hope. And may the outcome be, Father, that that everyone in this room, all of us in this room, will find the norm being a life that includes Sabbath and a life that includes this um, frequent refueling that gives us energy and vibrance and vitality and strength again. I pray with great expectations in Jesus' name. Amen.